Hello and welcome to this podcast on emotional intelligence. Very happy and uh, excited to have Joshua Friedman with us, who is a specialist on emotional intelligence. He is an author and the founder and uh, um, CEO of Six Seconds, a nonprofit dedicated to emotional intelligence. His website is sixseconds.org and his, uh, his work and the work of those with him have, uh, have currently touched over 4.5 million uh, people and they have a mission to engage uh, as close to as a billion people practicing emotional intelligence, which is uh, one of the most worthwhile goals I've certainly heard um, in, in a while. So welcome, uh, welcome Joshua, great to have you on board. Thank you, Cameron. I wanted just to start with some very basic questions um, because emotional intelligence can be fairly confusing for people and people might have different perspectives on what emotional intelligence is. So I'd love to get your perspective on, you know, what is emotional intelligence? Well, I think maybe it's easier to think about mathematical intelligence. And, you know, if you think of somebody who's got strong mathematical intelligence, it means they are able to accurately pick up numbers and mathematical shapes and they can get that data. And then they use that data to solve puzzles, like, you know, how, how much change to leave or how much tip to give or how, how to share, you know, four cookies among five people. So those are, those are mathematical puzzles and, you know, they, they, they come up with solutions to those. And the same thing is really true of emotional intelligence, uh, particularly the part about sharing, you know, cookies among five people. Uh, it's not just a mathematical puzzle, it turns out. There's also emotional data that we're picking up and using. And as we try to figure out how to solve problems, uh, we need this data. And if we can be accurate and get this data from ourselves and each other, and we can use that data well, then we're being emotionally intelligent. Mm. So in summary, using our emotional data or footprint or experience to better guide our, our present moment. We have a super simple definition, being smarter with feelings. So yeah. we all have feelings and we can kind of let them come out sideways and kind of be idiotic with them, or we can deal with them carefully and well and use them to help us move forward. And what is this? What's the sort of data? What uh, are the research or data are you collecting? And how is that sort of, how does that show in an everyday person's life? Well, we developed a measure of emotional intelligence that we use in our research and we actually developed the measure because what we're interested in isn't so much the theory of emotional intelligence, but the practice. How do you actually do this? And so we, we wanted a measure that looked at the process of actually using these skills in our daily lives. And we have a framework from our uh, research and experience on how can you actually be emotionally intelligent. And the way that shows up in our lives is that we're more aware of ourselves and each other and that we're 
more intentional, less reactive, less volatile, less on autopilot. And also we connect with others and the world beyond ourselves so that we're more purposeful. Mm. And what are the basic components of people becoming more aware of their own feelings and emotions? I mean, generally we, we know when the, the kettle's boiled and the, and, mm. the, and, the, and the lids come off and uh, we're often so engaged in what's happening that we're, uh, we're losing any kind of conscious um, control over it, whether that's barking at the driver next to us or uh, smashing a tennis racket on the ground or saying something in a heated conversation with a, a loved one or a friend or um yeah. you know circle back to the idea that we, we we can be emotionally idiotic we've all done <laughs> that right absolutely um, yeah i think there's two key things there uh, cameron one is that um it turns out we don't just have one feeling at a time so for example um if i'm feeling irate with my teenage son uh, lo and behold, I also love him, and also I'm afraid, and also I'm confused, and also I'm hoping for something better, and also I'm committed, and also I have trust, and I have distrust, and all these things at the very same time. And that, I think, is part of what's so vexing, is our our emotions, they're actually neurohormones, and these these little molecules go running around in our brains and bodies, affecting every living cell. and it's not that we have one of them and, and they don't cancel each other out. They're not, uh, you know, they're not, they're not like matter and antimatter. We can be loving and outraged at the very same moment. Mm. So part of the challenge and opportunity here, my favorite emotional literacy question, we call this emotional literacy, learning, to sort of tune into the nuances of feelings and understand them. My favorite emotional literacy feel question is what else are you feeling? Because so often we just listen to that loud voice, mm. the, you know, the kettle, the kettle boiling and the, that little whistle shrieking and think, okay, that's what I'm feeling. Well, that's true. But what else is there? What else are you feeling? And, and I think as we get more nuanced about this and, um, this certainly wasn't the case for me uh, 21 years ago when we started. I, I didn't really know how to answer this question. But with practice, I've learned to see um, that I can have multiple feelings and I can tune into them and I can start understanding the situation in a more complex way. Mm. Yeah, and it certainly was very uh, eye-opening for, for myself. Um, you know, I grew up in a in a culture where emotions weren't, you know, kind of shoved on, they were shoved under the carpet rather than mm. expressed. And, and learning that not only does understanding our emotions um, help us feel better, help us have some better self-understanding and our well-being goes up, et cetera. And you know, what was really interesting for me was also that performance goes up. Mm. Uh, yes. Not just in a sustainable manner because we're, we're, we're able to have longevity in what we're doing. But in a you know, great example I always use is, is Andy Murray, a professional tennis player. You know, once he was allowed to really, he had a coach who really allowed him to let his emotions out on the court. He was able to identify, let them out, let them go, move on, 
and as performance increased. And the research nowadays of, in terms of emotional expression and performance being correlated is, is, uh, is, is difficult to argue with. And, um, you know, certainly, and a lot of viewers might be in a similar position where we know that it's, you know, we have an emotional part of ourself, if you like. I mean, you know, mm-hmm. that, although it's far more integrated in that sense, but just um, conceptually, we have an emotional part and we know that exercising that emotional part, understanding it, looking after it, is going to is going to be better for us. But a lot of people I certainly work with struggle with the, the how. Yeah. You know, you know, how do I actually, okay, I can cognitively value it, but how do I actually move moment to moment in my life with that emotional awareness and competence and intelligence to better better suit my uh, my goals or performance? Well, I, for myself, uh, like you, I grew up in an environment where this you know, wasn't really a thing. Um, my parents um, were both statisticians. And um, for me, uh, I think if I'm really honest, I was really afraid of emotions. And they seemed very arbitrary and kind of out of control, and I didn't understand them. And I thought they just sort of happened a little bit out of the blue. So from for me, one of the things that's been really helpful is to realize that there is actually a logic of feelings and there are rules that feelings follow. Um, one of the pioneers in emotional intelligence who, uh, so Peter Salovey and John Mayer really invented the science of emotional intelligence. And one of their colleagues is a fellow named uh, John uh, David Crusoe. And David Crusoe said to me one time, it's kind of like chess pieces. There's certain moves that the pawn can make. There's certain moves that the rook can make. Uh, if you don't know those rules, the game seems very random. But when, when you start oh. learning basic rules of emotions, you go, oh, okay, I can kind of make sense of this. Even if I can't play it well, at least I, I can kind of basically understand the game. And that's been my experience uh, as a starting point for becoming more comfortable with emotions was to to learn like, okay, this is what anger means. You know, we have anger because our way is blocked or we have fear because something's at risk or we have sorrow because we're losing something that we love. And in learning this sort of like eight basic emotions and what they mean was, was a great starting point for me. And learning some more words. There are like 3,000 words for feelings in English. And I reckon that 20 some years ago, you know, I used five of them. <laughs> it was bad. It was good. You know, yucky. <laughs> How are you feeling? Okay. Yeah. You know, and that was sort of it. Um, so I think that's a, that's a starting point. Oh. Yeah. And I, I love that analogy with the chess because um, so often we can we take some self-reflection and we and we sit with our heart space and we go it's so confusing <laughs> <laughs> there's so much going on there um you know how do i distinguish between one feeling and another and um you know and and for most of us you know we quickly move on we rationalize it away and get mm-hmm. preoccupied and 
um, and because it's all just too confusing that to understand that there's there are patterns um, mm -hmm. and that there are rules or or moves per se that will typically ensue given a specific emotion can really help us understand that um, it isn't just a jumbled mess and um, and actually you know we do have some control over the internals of what's happening in our consciousness. It's a somewhat jumbled mess. <laughs> <laughs> I think that that, you know, that's a great entry point of just saying, okay, I'm feeling a bunch of stuff. It kind of feels like a jumbled mess. Could I tease that out a little bit? Um, and journaling or talking to somebody or just going for a walk and noticing, okay, I'm feeling a little of this. I'm feeling a little of this. Um, when you're just getting started with it, um, I don't think you even need feeling words. Um, you can use metaphors, you know, it's maybe, you know, this is, feels like a bit, bit like a, you know, a crocodile chewing on my leg and it feels like, you know, a dog barking and it feels like whatever, or, uh, you know, it feels like a car that's out of tune or, uh, feels cold or it feels hot, you know, metaphors can work or colors can work. And then as we get more sophisticated with our emotional literacy, we can actually start using feeling words. But even uh, with that a metaphor or a color, you know, taking a piece of paper and saying, okay, I've got this jumbled mess. Let me pick a color. That's one of the feelings that I have. I scribble it on the paper. Kind of looks like this. And here's another one. And here's another one. And here's another one. Pretty quickly, I think what we start finding is that we can find sort of pieces and threads of that of that mess and then um, start sorting it out and and by this the way the same thing is true with any intelligence the same thing would be true you know if you are dealing with a complex math problem uh, it it starts out as a jumbled mess and you start trying to tease apart the variables and that's exactly what you can do with emotions yeah and you know I like the 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 example there of getting a piece of paper and scribbling it out and putting colors to it. And, you know, often, uh, especially as adults, you know, we grew up thinking, well, we should know this by now. We should yeah. already understand this, have control over this. And um, often for many of us, you know, we, we start on an emotional journey, you know, very late in life and, and really kind of coming back to that elementary pattern of just learning to identify what, slightly different variations of emotions and feelings feel like both physiologically and and mentally and what it does to our thoughts and what it does to our our, our sensation in our body is really 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 important do you um separate between emotions feelings and states or yeah are they... yeah um i want to talk about that just something you said I want to remind people about, you know, most of us who went to school, we studied um, language and we studied mathematics and we did that for hundreds and hundreds of hours. You know, really, I mean, if you think about how many hours of math class you've had in your life and all that math homework you did, yeah. <laughs> I'm obviously harping on math. I'm coming back to my, my <laughs> but like that's a lot of hours of training, you know, and how many hours of training, even when I studied psychology, I didn't, you know, there was sort of a passing nod to emotions. 
So I think we need to give ourselves a little slack here and say, like you said, you know, okay, maybe I'm just getting started with this and that's okay. So coming back to your point about the physiology and emotions and um, feelings and states and thoughts. And um, what I wanna start with there is that emotions are part of our physiology. Uh, I mentioned they're neurohormones. They're actually chains of amino acids. They're part of our body's regulatory system. They're part of what helps us uh, survive and thrive. And particularly as social animals, they're very important in our survival system. And so these chemicals literally affect every living cell in the human body. They change our electrical set point of our cells. They change our muscle uh, production and activity. They change our digestion. They change all of our body systems. And so that's part of what makes it complicated, but it also means that we actually physically feel feelings. And this isn't true in every language, but in English, I think it's interesting that we say, you know, feel feelings. I, I feel sad. We use the same um, verb for temperature or texture or, you know, stress or, you know, something, something physical. And so that is an interesting clue. Like how can we perhaps use those physical sensations? And even something as simple as, you know, you're listening to this right now. Do you know if you're smiling or not? Um, do you have a little furrow in your brow? You know, is your jaw clenched? <laughs> like what's going on physically for you? That obviously uh, there's some clues there. And if you think, okay, I'm gonna become like an emotion detective and I'm gonna start tuning into this data, uh, these physical signs could give you a clue that something's happening. And I think that's a very powerful way to start developing your emotional intelligence. Inspector Cluzo is, uh, is on the case. <laughs> <laughs> but I love that, you know, I, I can imagine myself using that with my kids or other kids as well, or even adults that are, are playful in the sense that you know, let's let's have fun with it. You know, it doesn't have to be a serious uh, mm. self-reflection. Um, you know, we can uh, we can be that detective and um, and how, so. How do you? Um, a, a couple of things I want to pick up there. One is to uh, just ask you for some differentiation between emotions, feelings, and states. But mm. before that, just to pick up on that. You know, I lived in a Spanish-speaking country for a while, and they tend to say, "I have." Mm -hmm. anger you know and I have um, had a particular emotion which in some ways I, I felt was quite healthy in the sense that we don't attach our identity to how we might be feeling you know, they right. kind of perhaps see it as a more transitory right. physiological psychological process that's just coming and going and and as a result they're able to have heated discussions and it doesn't mean that they hate each other afterwards it's just that they're they're engaging in their emotion at the time of their communication and um you know which was a real eye-opener for me to to be able to have that um just like separation of my identity and the significance of what this emotion might mean versus just allowing it to kind of flow through me a bit and um you know and sort of for me realizing that emotions were I guess are kind of like hard core I mean, uh, 
practically scientifically this this might not be the case but practically i like to split emotions in the terms of there are core physiological reaction our neurochemicals going and then they mm. the mind interacts with them and we develop these barrage of feelings that ensue and then if yeah. they stick around for long enough they turn into a, a state yeah um, what's your sort of perspective on that yeah the same um it's about time and generalization and so we have this automatic physiological reaction. I, I do want to point out, it's an automatic physiological reaction, but it's a system that we're programming. You know, we're setting up this reaction. We'll talk about that later. But uh, we have this automatic physiological reaction, which I would call an emotion. And then um, what some researchers use the term cognitively saturated. It becomes, starts becoming more cognitively saturated. We start thinking about that experience and we start, it's, it's literally starts affecting our bodies and then it turns into a, what I would call a feeling. And then um, a mood, which is perhaps before a, a, a state, a mood is maybe more persistent and more generalized. And then I think as the physiology we start kind of getting ourselves set up to deal with um, that opportunity or threat and our bodies are uh, reacting in order to deal with what we're perceiving, then we have a physiological, cognitive, and emotional experience that lasts for a little while, and I'd call that a state. Mm. So learning to you know practically speaking learning to identify an emotion before it turns into a a barrage of feelings so to speak um yeah. might sort of help optimize our efficiency in terms of you know under emotional management per se yeah. well a lot of people say to me essentially i want to be less emotional and my response to that is, okay, be more emotional and that'll help you do that. Um, what I think happens is, and you alluded to this before, we suppress our feelings, we ignore our feelings. You know, So let's say I have a colleague at work uh, who is new and he uh, writes some email that I find annoying and I just sort of push that aside and pretend like I'm gonna be rational here. Uh, which is very irrational, by the way. And um, then, you know, a couple of days later, it happens again. And I think, oh, I just don't have time for all this people nonsense. And, you know, and then it happens again. And I go, you know, up to him and I say, you know, Cameron, what the heck is going on with you? Why can't you write an email right? <laughs> you know, he's like, and you're like, whoa, dude, what, where did that come from? Just, you could have just talked to me, right? And what's happened is, I have pushed aside, pushed down, stepped on, hidden away these feelings, and they've grown and grown and grown until they're actually really quite hard to deal with. And if I had just sort of dealt with it the very first time when it was small, it, it really wouldn't have been a big deal. Mm, I certainly relate to that with the family context. <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> How old do you have kids? How old? Uh, I have a two and a five-year-old. Oh um, yeah, but also my family of origin in terms of uh, you know never dealing with stuff at the time, and then years later there's this kind of loaded, <laughs> loaded uh, emotional perspective on certain situations, which is uh, 
very tinted from mm. uh, this, this, this baggage behind. Yes. And, and people uh, pretend like they're, you know, they're great actors or something, right? They're like, okay, I'm not going to be, I'm going to bring this up, but just in a neutral way. They're like, Cameron, do you remember when? You're like, well, that wasn't very neutral. <laughs> <laughs> We're actually pretty terrible actors, I think, you know, most of us. Uh, and I think we need to confront that reality that people actually uh, pick up a lot of what we're feeling, even when we, you know, pretend like, oh, I'm just going to be calm here. If inside I'm not calm, it comes out. Absolutely. And I think, you know, what, what you've just said there is so important because we can pretend, you know, we can rationalize so much and we can mm -hmm. pretend that it just, I'm not going to bring it up now. It doesn't matter. This isn't the place for it. And it comes out left, right, and center. <laughs> and, and as you just said, you know, you, you end up saying, do you remember that time? Or, well, that's happened. You know, this isn't the first time that's happened. Or, you know, right. with these loaded comments that just... That, <laughs> right. Yeah. Like, You've done this 17 times. <laughs> <laughs> and you haven't bothered to talk to me about it before, really. Yeah. You know, and we especially in relationships, you know, whether that's with our partner or a coach, we, we, uh, we don't, oh, well, not, we don't, a lot of people don't often approach that minutia, you know, because yeah. we don't add enough significance to it, you know, and if I'm working, let's say, with an elite athlete who's bouncing the ball and their match point down or something, or, you know, they're coming to the last two minutes of a a very important competition and suddenly the pressure increases and their, their internal mechanism just goes and you know their knees start to wobble or you know even if it isn't that extreme there's this internal environment that's very different from five minutes ago yeah. and uh you know and there might be some quick fixes that can kind of help people temporarily there but really you know as you said earlier if you want to be less emotional you have to be more emotional yeah and uh, by having that kind of ongoing day-to-day -day emotional acceptance and management and um and value added to our emotions and feelings that's what really helps us to be able to manage them in times of crisis or in times of a performance etc well there's a quite a lot of research that says that naming our emotions is a powerful step to transforming them. And naming emotions is actually a great example of emotional intelligence. It's we're building this bridge between different parts of our brain. We're building this bridge between a kind of cognitive function and this felt experience. And I think part of what's happening is it causes us to step back just a little bit and it also makes this experience feel a little less out of control. It's more understandable. Okay, what's going on here is this. And now I can start making sense of it. Now I can start having a conversation. Hmm. And yeah, what I find really interesting is when that, when that process happens, um, um, my mind tends to change or reframe the perspective I had on the particular emotion in the first place yes you know often for example let's say I'm uh, 
you know, my my daughter, for example, has just gone into uh, uh, surgery for a finger uh, into A and E because she's put her finger in the door, and mm. you know, my emotions are all about, oh no, what's going to happen? How can I support? All this sort of, and then the mind comes in with all the what ifs, etc. And when I just sit with that emotion, what instead of this terrorizing internal experience, I actually just find that love comes out. Yeah. You know, I'm feeling because I love her. It's a great example of, you know, my favorite question what else are you feeling? Because you're sitting there, you're, you know, this voice starts in on you of like, you know, this could happen, this could happen. Okay, fine. What else am I feeling? And what else am I feeling? And then, you know, really quickly, you come to the point at how much you love her and how precious she is and how precious this moment is. And that actually, you know, that gives you a kind of pers- a big broader perspective. A lot of our problem-oriented feelings, our feelings related to threat, they're, they, they're very urgent. And their purpose, their biological purpose is to focus our attention and motivate us to deal with the threat. And that's often, you know, in a kind of evolutionary perspective, that was often things that were quite immediate. You know, the saber-toothed tiger is coming. <laughs> like, let's deal with it now. But, you know, your daughter in surgery, uh, that's, you know, fighting or fleeing or hiding isn't really going to solve that problem. And so we're going to need to have a more nuanced approach. Hmm. And here at the Flow Center, we talk a lot about sort of fight, flight, freeze or flow. You know, when Mm. we're in those sort of threatening or perceived threatening situation, whether, you know, back back when it was the saber toothed tiger and now it's, you know, what are people going to think of me? And as soon Mm -hmm. as our competence or our comfort is threatened, we have this emotional reaction and which typically leads us down this, as you were saying earlier, this kind of sequential programmed path of responses um, which typically in those scenarios is fight, flight, or freeze. But to find this level of internal synchronicity instead, this level of mm-hmm. of being with what's happening in our consciousness and, and finding a, a synchronicity in our neural activity that allows us to have kind of effortless, effortless attention or effortless movement, or it's, it feels effortless even though there might be effort being put in. There's... Um, you know, we often at the Play Center, we talk about mental ways to do that or mm-hmm. cues or physiological kind of um, a, a sort of biohacking scenarios. Mm-hmm. But really, you know, that emotional understanding is a real way to to find a level of internal congruency and ease with, with the conflict that's happening inside. And what kind so, of practical tips could you give? Um, someone so i would just suggest two practices there one is what we talked about before about um uh, i i am experiencing this feeling not i am this feeling and that's really important um this is something that's actually quite transitory and i encourage people to sort of think about it like clouds going by in the sky you know, oh, okay, there's a dragon in that cloud. There's a butterfly in that cloud. You know, I'm seeing what I'm seeing. I'm perceiving this. I'm watching it, but it's not me. And the second is a practice that's going to take 
a long time to really internalize that there's no such thing as negative feelings. And I think one of the reasons we get into a lot of struggle with our feelings is we get into this, I shouldn't feel this. Uh, and even, even knowing this cognitively, I remember when my dad died and I, you know, I know I've studied uh, grief and I know that anger is part of it. And I remember feeling angry at him and saying to myself, oh, I shouldn't feel angry. And then kind of smacking myself in the head, like you shouldn't be shouldn't think. It's interesting how uh, strongly we're socialized, how deeply we're programmed to hide certain feelings or reject certain feelings. So there's a, a Buddhist principle, which is that suffering comes from denying what is. And there's something incredibly powerful about just saying, okay, this is what it is. I, I'm feeling this. It's not me. It's the clouds going by. I'm watching it. It's not irrelevant, but it's not me. And it just, that's what it is. You know, I'm feeling embarrassed. It is what it is. I'm feeling enraged. Okay. It is what it is. I'm feeling heartbroken. It is what it is. I'm feeling joyful. It is what it is. None of those are innately positive or negative. They're just data about how we're perceiving the world around us and inside us. And they're clues to help us understand where are the opportunities and threats. And in that same vein, one of my other favorites is uh, when we have strong feelings, it's because we're perceiving a big opportunity or a big threat. And one of uh, my colleagues, uh, Marilyn Jorgensen, who leads our coaching programs, she has this way of saying this that I just adore. She says, oh, it seems like you're having big feelings. Isn't that darling? No, it seems like you're having big feelings right now. You can try that with your two-year-old. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and you're having big feelings. It's very neutral. Okay, yeah. it looks like you're having big feelings. You must be perceiving something big. Yeah. Yeah, I love that. And allowing them to sit with it, you know, rather than trying to save them or, um, you know, come in as a rescuer, et cetera. And, mm. um, and then allows them to feel a level of safety with, with those feelings and then maybe see, well, actually, it's, it's okay. I think um, particularly for parents, that would be such a gift for your children is that you don't need to do anything. You know, oh, it looks like you're having big feelings. What, you know, what, what are you feeling? Uh, and sometimes they don't know what they're feeling. And, you know, you can make an observation saying, well, I noticed that you're, you know, slamming your, <laughs> slamming your hand into the table. I makes me wonder if maybe you're angry. And I see tears in your eyes and I wonder if maybe you're sad. Um, but just, the, the kind of treating it as something neutral. It's a huge gift. I love that. And um, well, I know we're coming up to the end of time. Um, so um, I'm just gonna sort of give a little recap. And then if you've got any questions or closing comments that you want to, um, to come in with, please do Joshua. But um, for me, there's been 
this chat has been really, uh, I guess, uh, a nice way to just demystify emotional intelligence a little bit, understanding that there's a pattern to what happens within us, um, something that we're programming and initiating. And if we can learn to label our emotions, if we can learn to identify them and understand them a little bit more and and understand that we have emotional physiological responses that then develop into feelings and moods and states, we can start to see the patterns that might be driving our thoughts and behavior and, and, uh, and our lives and give us more empowerment in how we proceed moment to moment. And knowing that, you know, when we do have an intense uh, emotional reaction, there's often a perception of a threat or an opportunity there. And, and if we can approach it with some neutrality, especially with dealing with others in those situations, we, we can allow, um, whether that's through observations or questioning, we can allow that emotion to come and go rather than become entangled and, um, and become dysfunctional. So um, those are just a few of the things that I've got from the chat and it's been really, really interesting um, for me. So thank you very much, Joshua. It's um, been a pleasure. You, you know, my thing I'd like to, to add is I find people and including myself quite interesting. And this opportunity to be in a state of learning about ourselves and others. And, uh, you know, we, we all screw up sometimes and I certainly do often and saying, okay, that's interesting. I wanna do it differently next time. And I think this notion that we have more chances and we get to try again and we get to learn that in itself is very powerful as a gift to ourselves, but also to each other, also to our children or colleagues or friends. Like how uh, awesome to have role models around us of people saying, yeah, I'm learning. And it's not about being perfect. It's about learning. And I made a mistake and I'm going to try again and I'm going to do better. And I think as a CEO, that's something I work to practice. As a dad, that's something I work to practice. But for myself, you know, not beating myself up when I make a mistake, but taking responsibility and saying, okay, I'm going to do better. Um, so I think it's a gift to ourselves and it's a gift to others to be in that learning state. And this realm of emotions and behavior is a fascinating place to be a learner. Yeah, it's one of the, the greatest journeys of life, for sure. Well, and you said I, I could ask you a question, and I'm wondering, you know, for yourself, what is it that catalyzed for you this hunger to learn about your own emotions and reactions? Um, I think, you know, great question. There's... Uh, there's a host of different answers I could probably give there. Um, but essentially, I, I reached a point in my life where I was very dissatisfied with my current experience. Mm. Um, I wasn't necessarily in control of my experience. I wasn't happy with my experience. And, um, and I, I knew there was more available. Um, mm -hmm. There was a higher quality of life available that I would... Um, have snippets of that I would mm. and generally for me it was in sport and it was in finding flow where there was just this amazing internal synchronicity that would make me come alive and feel powerful and feel like wow this is this is who I'm meant to be 
Mm. But as soon as I would walk off that, um, that tennis court or, or beach or whatever, I would, I would have a very different experience. You know, my mind would close in and there was just a, a massive range of confusion going on. And, and uh, you know, and seeing that within myself and seeing the pain that it, it, it can reach to others has really um, ignited me in a journey, I guess, to, to understand, expose, learn, um, demystify uncover you know and we're, we're all you know science is still learning we're all learning as human beings and and like you said there's no sort of perfect destination there's just a you know when we have that ability to, to learn and to to be open that's when we can really enrich our moment to moment experience and um so for me it was a personal dissatisfaction and knowing that there was more out there um, there had to be more out there because I could see other people who were amazingly happy, um, mm. but I wasn't quite able to um, to reach that myself. Mm. Yeah, I just uh, I'm just doing some research on this, and um, I think that sense of um, I can see I can see that there's another way. I can see that there's some possibilities that are, you know, somehow things aren't quite the way I want it to be, and I'm not just going to sit here. That seems to be a really critical doorway. Absolutely. Um, thank you. We have run out of time. And if people want to explore that um, doorway with Joshua, please just Google Joshua Friedman. You will, uh, you'll find a host of information about him. Um, it was a delight to get to talk to you. Thank you. Likewise. Absolutely. I look forward to a future discussion. Um, great stuff. So we hope you enjoyed this podcast and, um, and please practice um, what we talked about. Don't just let it sit in the, uh, the cognitive stew, you know, put it into action and, uh, and, uh, and reap the rewards. Bye for now.